Good morning. Welcome to Grace Point Church online service. We are so glad that you are here with us this morning. Uh, we are going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 16 this morning. So if you have your Bibles, please go ahead and open up. Um, I do want to say, just as you're turning there, a, a couple of announcements always just uh, to, to point out for this, this service. Uh, I sure do appreciate when you comment, leave a note, sort of engage online uh, in this period where we are, many, many people are distanced from one another. Um, it helps me to stay connected to you. It, it helps those of us stay connected with each other. With the online service and the, and the uh, it, pr- being present service, um, it's hard to uh, tally. I think that probably about 80% of our congregation is is here for the online service, and I gather there's about 20% uh, plus um, uh, visitors that that view the online service. And so uh, for those of you that are participating through the online service, it's it's really, um, it's it's hard to, to know who you are. And so unless you say something, unless you engage, uh, as I pray and prepare uh, to preach this message to this service, you know, I try to think through the people that I know uh, that are watching the service so that I can pray for you and I can keep you in mind. Um, and just to, to, for me to feel connected to you as I preach, you know, I, I do preach to the camera and it's, it's, it's awkward. It's, 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 um, you know, I now have been doing it for six months and so it's, I'm a little bit more comfortable doing this, but I, uh, um, just being able to get some feedback, being able to know that you, wherever you are out there watching, it is encouraging and it, uh, it just helps me to, uh, prepare and deliver, uh, to you, uh, the Word of God. And so please do engage. Um, the, on Saturday, September 26th, which is next Saturday, the Franklin Graham is doing the Pray for Our Nation, the Pray Through Washington, D.C. We are going to, um, here at the church, we're going to follow. Uh, we can't walk, but we're going we're gonna to follow their order of service and sort of pray for our nation uh, here at the, at the church, right here in the sanctuary. We're going to do that next Saturday at 9 a.m. And so uh, we encourage you to come and uh, to pray with us for our nation during these unusual times. Uh, October 4th, it's the first Sunday, the first Sunday in October, we're going to move our live service from 8 o'clock to 9.30 a.m. Uh, it's been asked about the online service, if anything is going to change for that, and, and it's not. We're going to, we're going to continue doing this, and we will, um, we will, the, the broadcast, the, the premiere is what they call it, will begin at 9.30 on Sundays as it has been doing. And the reason that we're not live streaming is sort of, the, the, main, the main reason is being outside. It's this the, the, the mechanics of being able to live stream with quality that you can hear and understand. It's just, it's, it's, it's not the same. And so um, we are going to hold to this format. Also that Sunday on October 4th at 8.30 a.m., an hour before the service, we're going to start a Sunday, an adult Sunday school class through the book of Revelation. So John Johnston, John Johnson has uh, been a BSF, Bible Study Fellowship teacher for many years. And so uh, he asked if we could go through the book of Revelation in a little bit more of a detailed study than we went through 
on Sundays, I'm assuming. Um, but for we have a, ha- a handful of people that are interested, and so um, reach out and let us know that you're interested. There's a handful of people that we are aware of who do want to participate in this. And so please, uh, um, you know, come and participate. It'll be great. Okay, with that, let's, let's pray and we'll get into our passage for today. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for all that you're doing in our lives. Father, we do pray uh, for our nation. We pray for our leaders. We pray just for us as a people um, that are that are United States citizens navigating this 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 time period. We pray that you would give us wisdom and honor you in our actions and our thoughts and the condition of our heart. We pray, Lord, that you would give us peace that only you can give. That we would be able to trust you uh, through these times that are unnerving for all people. We do pray. God, that you would help us now as we read your scripture and we study from it. Lord, we pray that your spirit would illuminate the meaning of the of the text, that you would convict, that you would guide, that you would speak uh, to our hearts, Lord, to our innermost being, that we would allow your voice to be heard uh, deep within us uh, through your scriptures. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. All right, so 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. We read verse 13. For this reason, we constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you, who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved with the result that they always fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the utmost. And Father, we do thank you and praise you uh, for this day. Lord, we ask uh, that you would guide us now. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right. So earlier in my preparation, I I, uh, I, I came across a, a funny story that I thought I'd share. There were three friends that decided to go deer hunting together. There was a lawyer, a doctor, and a, and a pastor. And as they were out hunting, they came across this big buck. They simultaneously, three, the three of them shot at the buck, and the buck immediately went down as they uh, raced towards this huge buck to see, um, just just to examine it and 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 to see who basically got it, sort of thing. They realized that it was hard to tell who got it, and so they started arguing amongst themselves about who made the shot, who got the buck, whose it it is. And while they were basically in this argument, a um, a, a, a game officer came up and said, is there a problem, gentlemen? Like, what's, what's going on? And so 
the doctor spoke up and said that there was an argument over who had shot the buck, and they were trying, each man was trying to take credit for the buck. And so the officer said, well, I'll have a look. And so he has a look, a, a look at, at the buck, and, and a, after a few minutes, he looks up and he says, the pastor shot the buck. And he said it with so much confidence and being sure of himself. And they said, well, how can you possibly know that it was the pastor that shot the buck? And the game warden said it was, it's easy because the bullet went in one ear and out the other ear. So that was the exact opposite of today's passage uh, but so often how the word of God goes into one ear and out the other ear that uh, pastors work hard over uh, ministering with the word of God and sharing with the flock. And so often it's, it's missed in large part. And so I'm, I'm grateful that we have active, engaged people with the text that remember from week to week where we are, what we've been doing. And so Paul, in today's section, he uh, expresses gratitude for the Thessalonians. We've spent a couple weeks, uh, three weeks, looking at sort of Paul's integrity, his his actions. Two weeks ago, we looked at uh, how he ministered to them as a mother. Then he then last week, sort of as a father towards them and and exhorting them to to live their lives in a way that was worthy for the gospel. And so today, he looks at the big picture and how has the word of God impacted them and how are they living their lives? And so in verse 13, we read, for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. And so we right away have this for, this, this connecting word that ties into the previous thought. And he says, for this reason. And so the question is like, wh- what reason? What, what's this for? What's he talking about? And so it drives us back to the previous verse in verse 12, where Paul says, so that you will behave properly toward Am I reading the right verse? Am I No, the page got turned here. Uh, verse 12 of chapter 2 says, So that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And so as Paul writes, uh, he, he says that all of his motivation, the integrity of his heart, how he lived amongst them, how he cared for them as a mother, as he motivated them as a father, his whole purpose of all of this was so that they would live out their lives in a way that is pleasing to God. And for this very reason, we're told that he constantly thanked God So as he thought about this, as he thought about how they responded to his life, his character, his mothering them or ministering to them as a mother, exhorting them as a father, he is filled with gratitude. He says, we also constantly thank God. And so he continues his theme of gratitude all through Thessalonians. We see that Paul is deeply grateful for them. Back in chapter 1, verse 2, he says, We give thanks to God, and he lists for their work of faith, their work of faith, their labor 
of love and their steadfastness of hope. And so that whole first section is sort of this umbrella of Paul's gratitude for them and all of the things he's thankful to God for. And during that time, we mentioned that the Christian life is, should be marked with gratitude. It, it should be our disposition as we look at this life of ours and as we navigate things, even difficult things, that we should be people who are um, just have hearts that are filled with gratitude. Today, he continues this example of, of gratitude. I, I don't know about you, but 2020 has been a, a long year of sort of just plowing along, wondering, and my, the condition of my heart isn't always the best. Like we go through you know, ups and downs where we're doing really good, and then there's like, how much longer can this go on? When will life resume? I noticed that in Costco, they're already putting up Christmas decorations. And this is a year that it's like, you know what? I wish they would like push the Thanksgiving decorations. Like let's set up our houses for Thanksgiving. Let's really embrace Thanksgiving this year. It is the one holiday that I always say is a holiday that embodies the the, the Christian spirit. It should be the leading holiday for us as believers. And so, you know, I'm ready to just set up our house for Thanksgiving and to start these, uh, you know, so often Thanksgiving comes with uh, disciplines of, of practicing gratitude. And so I'm ready to do that in my own life. And so the question is, as he says that we constantly thank God, what what is Paul thanking God for this time? And he continues and he says that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us. And so he begins to think about how, how the, the word, the scriptures were received by them as he ministered them to him. And so this, this word received, it's an interesting word. It, it describes an action of a student receiving um, a tradition that's sort of been handed down uh, over the years from from uh, a, a, a teacher to pupil sort of thing. It's uh, it's how something is passed down from generation to generation. In fact, it's the same word that Paul uses describing the gospel in First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verses three through four, where he writes, "I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received." that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. And so when Paul goes down this road, he says, you know, there I was, not a follower of Christ. And then Jesus met me on the road to Damascus, and he shared the gospel, the good news of what he had accomplished into my life. And so then I received this truth, and then after I received this truth, I now am passing it on to you. And so here, Paul says, we have deep gratitude that these Thessalonians are one of the people that Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians who received the gospel from him. He says that they received the word of God and heard from us. And so the word of God from this part of gratitude and really throughout the section, this today's section is, is the scriptures um, are, are front and center. And so they received the word that they heard from Paul back in Acts chapter, chapter 17, verse 2. Then the story about 
um, the, the, the church at Thessalonica, there we read, according to Paul's custom, he went to them for three Sabbaths, and he reasoned with them from the scriptures. And so as Paul was there for three weeks, his, his starting point, the place that he reasoned with these, these believers that he's writing to now is from the scriptures. And so he went through the scriptures, the Old Testament, and he pointed out the Messiah and making his case uh, for Jesus within the Old Testament, which he is all through the Old Testament. In Galatian, Paul tells us that he, uh, after conversion, he took 14 years away in the, the desert. And many believe that during this time, Paul went through the whole of the Old Testament a bunch of times and sort of saw what, like, was seeing what he missed uh, while he was attacking Christians. And so as he went through the Old Testament, it was, you know, he had that awe, the V8 moment that he, he realized how he'd miss Christ through all of the scriptures. And now he took it all in. And so when he went, he goes and he shares Jesus from the scriptures. And at that time, it was the Old Testament. And so Paul has deep gratitude for how they received the scriptures. He goes on to say that you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God. They accepted it. They accepted the scriptures as being God's very word. That it's not just some man-made writing. I don't know about you, but I hear it all the time from those who are not Christians, from those who are skeptics, from those who are um, hostile towards the gospel. And they say, you know what? The Bible is just some man-made thing uh, that man created so that he could take advantage of other men. And it's just a big... Um, placebo just to make sort of people feel better. And that's just absolutely not true. And unfortunately, this, this uh, low view of scriptures often today bleeds into churches all, all over the nation. Uh, it really does make me sad when I look, look across the landscape of the United States and there are many churches that the word of God is sort of um, not front and center, that it's sort of uh, pushed away to the side and and is not prioritized. Um, from the pulpit, pastors don't really think it's that important. They, they, they give more pep talks than, than true Bible teaching uh, from the scriptures to, uh, to allow the scriptures to, to work within the heart's of the hearers. Uh, this week, as I was studying, I received an email from somebody within our congregation who was away uh, last week, and and they had attended another church, and the email was basically just a uh, an email of gratitude. I wonder if they read ahead, <laughs> but they commented that they were at another church, and that the pastor there didn't really teach from the Bible. He was made sort of a gave a talk and there was some scripture that was sort of, you know, kind of given to sort of support what he was saying, but it wasn't the scripture that was the sort of the main thrust. And they expressed their gratitude for how we go through the scriptures at our church that we, you know, choose the book of the Bible, we dig in and we just sort of word by word, line by line, go through the scripture and allow the scripture to speak to us. And so in receiving this email, they, they were sending 
uh, a letter of gratitude to me, but in receiving it, I was so grateful for their heart for how the Word of God is handled at our church. And I think that this was, this was Paul's heart, that as he taught the Word and he, as he imparted it to them, and they were eager to receive it and eager to allow it to take root in their hearts, Paul was so grateful in light or even though there's all sorts of affliction and and uh, persecution coming their way, he was just tickled that the word of God was going forth, that it was taking root in their heart, that their lives were being uh, transformed. It's encouraging to me. It's motivating to me to to stay the course, to take uh, my time in the study really seriously, so that when I come here and that I impart the scriptures to those who are listening, that God would be honored, that the scriptures would be the exciting words that they are. The Bible is not boring. There is so much meat and, and things within the text that are fascinating. There's funny stories. There's horrible stories. There's, it's a wonderful uh, book that God has given to us, his very word that he has imparted to us, And I have this great blessing of then taking what he said and communicating it to you in a way that touches your heart. And so that's my prayer is that the word of God would touch you deep within your souls. He goes on to say, which also performs its work in you who believe. And so as the word goes out, it's not just uh, some book that you just read and you're entertained by it and then you put it down and you move on to the next book. It's, 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 it's the Word of God that comes into our hearts and as it takes residency within our hearts, it, began, it begins to sort of work and to, to move and to change how we think, change how we live our lives. I don't know who said it. I can't remember who said it, but there's an old quote that says something along the lines of, I've read lots of books, but this is the only book that has read me. And there's something about the scriptures combined with the Holy Spirit that as they co-mingle in your mind and your heart, that there's conviction, that there's challenge, that there's change that happens. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says this, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of the soul and the spirit of both joint and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is unlike any other book. It penetrates deep within. It cuts and times it hurts. But then it also mends and heals and restores us to God. Have you ever experienced this? I hope so. There's, there, it's hard to put in words that first time or, or the times when God's word just like zapsha. When after church somebody comes up and they say, Gunner, I felt like you were just speaking to me. It's like I had, it wasn't me speaking to you. It was God through his word speaking that penetrated your heart. I know it wasn't me. And I love that the word of God convicts us, challenges us, encourages us. There's a reason before 
studying the Word of God, before teaching the Word of God, that I pray that as I'm teaching, I'm praying, and at the back of my mind, that as I go through the text, it's like, Lord, help me to say what you have conveyed in your Word. Lord, help those that are listening to hear your voice, not mine. I have nothing to offer, but the Scriptures do. And when we close, we end in prayer because we're asking God, Lord, do something in our lives. Lord, help us to understand. Help these words of your Scripture that have gone forth today that we read, that they would actually have an impact in my life and that they uh, would do their work. I think of, um, I need to write this down. Something just came to me. Um, making pizza has been something I've, uh, I've been on a, a sort of a lull, but over the last couple of years, one of the little hobbies that I've, I've taken is family pizza night. And I, I, I've gone away from making my own pizza dough, but I, I did for a long time. And, and I feel like I really refined the process of, of making uh, pizza dough and, and I, I don't have a baking history, but you know, like yeast, I, um, it's one of those things that's a mystery to me in the baking process that you have to, you know, get the warm water and then you put the yeast in there and sometimes you have bad yeast or sometimes you make your water too hot and you kill your yeast. But there's like, when you're making pizza dough and you get that, that, uh, the, you put, start with the water and then you put the yeast in there. And you're supposed, you know, you walk away for five minutes or ten minutes or whatever. And when you come back, you're supposed to see uh, the the water with the yeast and the sugar sort of like bubbling up. And you can see that it's that something is activating and it's working. And if you kill your yeast, you'll come back and it's like there's nothing there. And it's like oh, there's a problem. And that that picture is sort of like the the scriptures of like sometimes it goes in and if you're you know like all of us, either you don't know the Lord, you don't care, you just could care less about the scriptures. And it like it 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 goes in but nothing seems to happen. Then there are other times when you're walking with the Lord and your your soul is ready and it's like it goes in and it just starts churning and it, it begins to do stuff. It's beautiful. It's like what the psalmist describes in the very first psalm, Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. This whole section, we haven't gone to the difficult section of today's passage yet, but Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3 says this, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. This is what I want in my life. I remember early in my Christian life when my life was so divided and there was so much, I, I can't even say that it was hypocrisy. At the, at the moment, I felt like a hypocrite because I was trying to live for God, but I was also very much in the world. And so there, there was hypocrisy, but it wasn't hypocrisy from my heart. It's just what I felt. What was going on is the tension I was feeling is my old life had more power over my new life. And I didn't know how to 
kill my flesh and allow my, my new life in Christ to, to grow. And I remember sort of, you know, weeping in my heart, not necessarily holding the Bible, but thinking I want everything that's in here to be true in my life. And I want to have the victory. I want to have the power. I want to have the excitement. I want to have the joy. I want to have the peace that the Bible talks about, but it wasn't happening. And I think in that moment, my heart was actually, and where I felt the most broken, where I felt like the most hypocritical, actually the condition of my heart was getting primed just to be the perfect temperature so that the Word of God could begin working its work in my life. Because as I look back over the last 25 years, it was that moment when I was truly and genuinely broken enough that I, all I needed was God. That's when, as I look back, where the change truly began to happen. And it's still what I want in my life. Just because I've been a Christian now for however many years, I, I, I still need it because the flesh is still strong. I still want that active living relationship. I want the Word of God to, to, to penetrate my heart. Then he goes on to say in verse 14, For you brethren became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hand of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. So now Paul goes in this, uh, not, not a tangent. Um, the first word I want to point out is imitators. And so what Paul is saying here is as these believers in Thessalonica received the word of God, as they heard the word of God, as they received it as the very word of God, they believed this, the Holy Spirit came within them, sealed them for the day of redemption that Ephesians 1.13 speaks of. They began living their life and the fruit of the Spirit began to manifest itself in their life. And as they lived their life, persecution arose. Arose while Paul was still there. Paul was run out of town. We know the story. And as they lived their life, their fellow, their countrymen began to persecute them, uh, tried to, 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 to stop the spread of the gospel, tried to stop the spread of the good news going forth from these new believers in Thessalonica. And Paul says, you have become imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. So now what he's saying, they didn't know these churches in Judea. They didn't see them to imitate. What Paul is saying is that the same Spirit of God which was in the churches or is in the churches in Judea, the region of Judea that they don't know, that they've never seen, Paul did. These two churches, because they were walking with God and living for him, the, the, the results were sort of very similar. And so he references the church in Judea. So Judea is the southern part of Israel. And as you were to, if you were to follow the spread of the gospel through Acts, you see that it starts in Jerusalem and Judea, Acts 1.8. For you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, that we see this 
spread of the gospel, that it would saturate Jerusalem, and then persecution came, and the persecution then forced the church to spread beyond, and then to the region of Judea, and then as the gospel went forth to all of Judea, then the persecution got so bad there that it pressed out to the Samaria area. And then after that happened, Ultimately, the, the persecution picked up even more, and then it pushed the gospel to the edges uh, of the earth. And, and it continued to go out and enters Paul, the apostle, and the missionary journeys and the story of the Thessalonians that, that because of the persecution, the gospel spread, I think. Um, and it, it seems to be the case. And Paul says to those churches in Judea, they... Um, these churches were persecuted by the Jews and the Jews who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets. So I think of the stoning of Stephen early in the, the gospel or the, the, the acts of the apostles. And he goes through this, that the, the Pharisees and the Jewish people, they all, like all of the prophets they killed. And of course they killed Jesus too. And so he says that they killed Jesus, they killed the prophets, and they drove us out also. And so, as they lived for the Spirit of God, the deeds of the flesh and their fellow countrymen, both in Thessalonica and in Judea, those that walked according to the flesh are against the Spirit of God. And, and as they see the Spirit of God moving amongst God's people, it creates anger, hostility, and, and, and ultimately no violence, which then press the gospel out, which he says. I, as I look at what's going on in our country, there's probably a lot that could be said. There's probably a lot that shouldn't be said. But I saw a video a week or two ago of uh, some people dining in Washington, D.C. And, and I, there was a, a person sitting at the table minding their meal. These, these protesters came into the restaurant and were trying to force these individuals to say some things that the individuals didn't want to say. And there was one lady who got in the face of another lady that was like screaming at her. And she, at some point in this, like looks at her and starts screaming, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? To the lady that's eating her meal. And that wasn't really the, the point of the video, this news report that was being shared. But there was just something within me that like the, the hair on the back of my head stood up. And it's like there's, there's something more than what we're just seeing. There, there seems to be like something underneath the surface and here in this attack that was for something, the lady starts screaming about Christianity. And I'm convinced that much of what we're experiencing in our nation today, that, that there's far more spiritual undertones than we give credit for. And our only hope and our only security and our only peace that we, that we can find is in Christ. And we need to stay focused on him and we need to stay focused on his word and allow him to speak and minister to us through it. And we need to stay anchored in him because as we look around this world, as we live for him, he's the only hope for us. He's the only place that we're going to find peace and contentment. And as we do this, unfortunately, I believe that the, the hostility towards those who believe, it's going to increase. 
the one encouragement that I see in this, as I read this, as Paul speaks about the Jews and he says they and them and, and what they did, and he's not done yet, we have to remember who's Paul. Paul is one of them. He, he was, he, uh, like not even was, he is one, and he was one of them that was one of the great persecutors of the church. He was one who they were super afraid of, that Barnabas had to take him in and sort of uh, tell, show everybody that he was okay, and they weren't so sure about the Apostle Paul at the time. And we see through Paul's example, number one, that those that are hostile to the gospel can indeed be reached by the Holy Spirit, and our Father in heaven can reach them, save them, transform them. And so we need to pray that God would do that very thing in our midst, and we need to be a light, that God, pray that God's light would be seen in our lives and our example uh, as we live our lives He goes on to say, they are not pleasing to God, but are hostile to all men, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved with the result that they always fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the most. And so right away, this, all commentators refer to this section as being a really difficult passage to understand. Um, Not really sure where to start, but the wrath has come upon them to the utmost. So Paul uses this sort of in a past tense way. And, and, and the past tense usage, as if this has already happened, but the wrath of God has come upon them to the utmost, has a bunch of commentators like, well, what does this mean? This was probably late, I think, in the 50s uh, when this was written. And so some would say, well, this was probably the destruction, the destruction of Jerusalem, but that, that happened in AD 70. So maybe Paul's, the handwriting was on the wall that Rome was going to destroy Jerusalem. It's really hard to know. Um, I'm not going to say anything dogmatic, just to look at some things that we see in here that we know. Um, what I see is, um, they are not pleasing to God. So, so these individuals, the Jews and the Thessalonians who are attacking those um, uh, who have given their lives to Christ, it's not pleasing to God. We hear he's, he, Paul writes in verse 16, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved, that he saw this persecution as resistance that, that stopped the spread of the gospel. And so I, I'm not going to disagree with the scripture and I'm not going to disagree with Paul, but looking at sort of the, like what I described in Acts, when I look at the world so often as the world tries to stop the spread of, of Christianity, what actually ends up happening, it ends up being like gasoline on a fire and it begins to spread. We, we see this from Luther as he was trying to translate the Bible into the common language. We see this in the early church as they came down. What it did was spread. When we go to China and Africa and we see places and people groups that are persecuted for their faith, the faith actually spreads. And so Paul speaks of the wrath of God that is uh, going to come on them for their actions in, in doing this. I read Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3, and if we keep reading that, we see the same sort of results in verses 4 through 6, 
We see the wicked are not so, but they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. God gives warning after warning after warning throughout the scriptures. Last week, I think it was in Hebrews 3.12 that I read from. And it says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. There is going to be a day of judgment, a day of reckoning for those who don't know Christ and for those who are, who are going against the church of Christ. And so that gives us hope, those of us who believe that we can stand firm, knowing that judgment is coming, knowing that all of the evil in the world, it will be accounted for. When I look at this section, I look at Paul and his life, the bigger picture. He says this, and it'd be very easy to, to sort of to come down on the attackers. But we know that Paul loved his fellow countrymen. In Romans chapter 9, the first five verses, Paul writes this. I am telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belong the adoption as sons and the glory of the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and promises who are the fathers and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh who is over all God blessed forever. Amen. So in, in this Paul says I love my fellow countrymen my my, we're, we share the same flesh. We say, share the same heritage. They're attacking us. I was one of them. And he said, I, I love them so much. And when I see what they're doing and I see their rejection of God's plan, it brings me great sorrow in my heart. And I, when I read this, I, I always, it, it begs the same question for myself, like, like especially in today's day and age. Like, I am a native Californian. Yeah, I was born in this state. I love my state. And when I look at what's happening, that this great movement against God, uh, there's little question on the outsiders for how Christians are treated within the state of California. Like, it, it's, I don't even think it's really a debate. And so it's very easy from within to develop sort of a, a sort of anger, frustration, and I have to keep my heart in check, and it's been difficult. And I have to ask myself, do I love my fellow Californians, my fellow Americans in the same way? Can I say in clear conscience that I would give up my very salvation if it meant that they would come to Christ? This is the example that Paul sets for us. And so I think Paul's passion and example, I do think it should bring us to our knees in how we pray for our brothers uh, and sisters of the flesh, fellow Californians, fellow San Diegans, fellow Americans, that we should desire them to know Christ in this way. Remember the joke, I never know how it landed because it's a camera 
camera didn't laugh. I don't know if the word of God goes in your ear, one ear, and out the other ear, but I certainly hope not. Jesus' brother James says this in James one twenty one. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word. Same word, received, how the Thessalonians received the word of God. He says, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Get serious about the word of God. Get serious about what it says and how it, it can be used in your life. D.A. Carson said to a group of pastors, which I think is good for all Christians, including yourself, he said, to our shame, we have hungered to be masters of the word much more than we have hungered to be mastered by it. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. Lord, we ask that you would help us to have hearts that are receptive to the scriptures, that we would receive them as your very word, that we would read the Bible daily, that we would seek you as we do this, that it would be implanted in our hearts, that we would know Christ as Savior, that we would look to him for our assurance, for our hope. Father, we pray for those that don't know you, Father, for those of us that find ourselves in California in a state that seems to be uh, losing Christians daily, that, that there are conservatives who are leaving the state day by day, we pray for those of us who remain. Lord, that we would be a light unto our state. We pray for our fellow countrymen, um, that we would be a light that they would know Christ and that their lives would be transformed. And regardless of what comes, Lord, we look to you. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to have the strength to endure the trials that uh, lay before us. We pray, Father, that you would uh, do a work in our midst, Lord. May we see another great awakening in our state and in our nation. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we ask this in Christ's good name. Amen. Well, I hope you guys are all doing well. Please, again, check in with us. Let us know how you're doing. We are praying for you, and we hope you have a great week. I'll see you next week. God bless you.